0: A I N, N M E N, N
1: U
2: Main Menu Main Menu Main, Main Menu Hello everyone, and Happy New Year! This is your co-host Jason Castingway for Main Menu for the 8th of January 2016. There's a lot of game playing going on, to be sure, but I'm not talking about the iOS and Android games, I'm talking about those physical board and card games. Remember those? (laughs) Well, our guest on the show for this week is Richard Gibbs from 64 Ounce Games, a company that provides games that are modified so that they are accessible. And he's going to tell us how he entered this venture and some of the technicalities therein and give you an idea of some of the games that are available and what is in 64-ounce games' future. After that, we have another guest, Janine Stanley, who will tell us all about the Logitech K480 Bluetooth keyboard. And then yours truly is going to tell you all about this new keyboard he got for Christmas. And he loves referring to himself in the third person. (laughs) Well, it's a really slick, portable Bluetooth keyboard that is quite impressive for its size. So let's get started. My name is Richard Gibbs.
1: What I do is I run my full-time job. But aside from that, I run 64-ounce games. And we are a company who now is manufacturing a lot of frail and accessible materials for board games that previously didn't exist. And what we do is we make these things that we're calling accessibility kits. So you buy the retail game, you buy our accessibility kits, you put them together. The Accessibility kits usually consist of transparent Braille stickers. Um, depending on the kit, it might have Braille dice that go along with it or a board overlay or whatever the game needs Um, sometimes it's qr codes for games with text way too long to fit in braille whatever the game needs to be accessible we provide and you put the two of them together and you end up with a accessible game with a little bit of assembly
3: pretty cool now when we're talking about um, accessible games uh, what sort of board games do you offer or does one just simply say hey richard i want a game and it's such and such do you actually custom make them for people or how does that work
1: we've done both actually right now on our website at store.64ouncegames.com we offer over probably we're above the 80 different accessibility kits and those will range from um, kids games to more mature games i mean you can't classify that as anything but adult because it has such dark themes Okay. We don't go more adult than that. I'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, strategy games, I like games that have a more choice than random, where if you win or lose, it's because you played poorly or you played well, instead of it just being a random roll of the dice. And most of our games, even kids' games, um there are always going to be important decisions being made, and I, I think that there... Um, these are. I usually do more obscure games because Uno, Scrabble, and um, Monopoly they they've been covered and they've been accessible in braille format before, mm-hmm. and you can still buy them. I'm doing the niche games that have never been done before. Everything that I'm doing um, is brand new to the blind market. So, um, so I'm trying to add to it. I don't want to compete with what already exists. They already have a Braille Rubik's Cube, so there's no point in me doing that sure. because they can purchase it somewhere else. I'm trying to increase the market.
3: So you mentioned QR codes. Um, how mm-hmm. how are they implemented in a, in a game? Do you have to have a special device for those?
1: Yes. Usually people have their smartphones and whatever device that they normally have. I'm looking at one of the board games right now. It's called Munchkin. The way that we do it is we have the, like, the name of the card in braille on a sticker on the front side of the card, or on the side that usually has the text on the back side of the card it has the qr code um so it doesn't cover up any of the pictures or anything for the sighted audience mm-hmm. um so a blind person would be able to read the name of the card in braille and then if they wanted to know what the function of the card was they'd use their qr code reader i assume what like an iphone with a um with a headset, so that they could read the information privately, because that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks with um, any of the m- making a game blind accessible is you have to get the same information to the blind person at the same time as a sighted audience is able to acquire. And there there are some games that we've really struggled with figuring out how to do that without slowing the game down so much that um, it is no longer fun. Um, but we, we have definitely managed to do that on a lot of games. Um, like there's another game that we have called The Resistance. And one of the key mechanics of that is that you have um, people play as spies. And the way that the main game works is that everybody closes their eyes, the spies open their eyes and look at each other, and then they close their eyes again. And we figured out a method to do it with uh, passing any of the cards to get that same information that is usually given just by eyesight.
3: With the QR codes, I can't think of a time that I've ever used my device for that. Is that more of an Android-specific application, or do the iPhones, I'm assuming they're able to do that?
1: They're able to do that with um, a bit of software. I I think that the software is like QR reader or something. I don't use an iPhone. I don't know what the software is. Okay. I could look it up. No, no but that, I know that I know that fine people do it.
2: Okay.
3: Um, yeah, that's, uh, that shows you how unfamiliar I am with QR code reading. Yeah, I, I think it's
2: kind of like ahead. a bar, kind of like a barcode thing, but it, but it's yeah. um, a, a different kind, and and I think it's cross-platform and all sorts of good stuff. So
1: yeah, it's it's cross-platform. They're about one inch by one inch squares, mm-hmm. give or take. You can scale them depending on what you want to do. We put them on one-inch stickers, and we just put them on the back of the card. Neat. A sighted person can't tell. The, I mean, they can tell that there's something there, but it's, I mean, it's just gobbledygook. I yeah. mean, they can't tell what the card says.
2: On the site, when someone is looking to purchase a kit, do you have a link to the actual board game so they know exactly which, I imagine there could be several versions of a board game.
1: We, uh, we try to do that. Well, we have two solutions. Those solutions usually work. The first solution is that some of our games we sell as combo kits. We will sell the game and the kit together. Mm -hmm. And we do that with the games that we've talked to the manufacturer. We are friends with the manufacturer, and they are giving us wholesale prices so that we're giving it to you just the game and the kit for the same price or even less than you'd be able to get it if we sold the kit separately and you bought the game separately. Mm-hmm. So some of the games we do that, and obviously we know exactly what we're sending you, so they're, they're going to match. The other thing we do is um, on the page that, that that you use to buy the game, let's say that you're buying Bonanza. Um, that's a family card game. It's, it's great. Um, if you're buying that game, there's a link to Amazon on our page, and you'd click that, and it links you to where to purchase it on Amazon. And if you go through their link, we get a little bit of a kickback for referring it, so then they can buy the kit, and they'll know it's the right version. That method is nice because I don't need to touch the games. Sometimes the manufacturers will switch out one version for another version, Mm. and that's happened. It just happened very recently with Apples to Apples, so I'm going to have to buy another copy of apples to apples to retranscribe it. And some of the kits that I just recently sent out, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to get with the people and say, "All right, what version do you have? Do you have the new one or do you have the old one?" Mm-hmm. And here are the differences in the cards. And what we're we've been discussing how we're going to handle that. If it's our fault, we're going to be uh, sending like a conversion kit at cost mm-hmm. to try to make it. To make it right so that they can play the game, but but that's gonna happen. But that's probably gonna be like a year or two year thing with some of the games, um, especially the party games that need to be timely. And they keep doing revisions over and over again, like apples to apples. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna be doing that. But but usually, most games once they're out, that's like they're out. Their version isn't gonna change. It sounds like it's it's. Kind
3: of a labor of love, uh, putting these games together. It sounds like you're really uh, into games, and I'm assuming I think it's Emily is your wife or your yes. your partner or whatever. Um, it sounds like she's really into this kind of stuff as well because uh, you had mentioned her. Uh, unfortunately, she couldn't be with us, but I'm I'm curious, how did you start on this venture, and how? Uh, how receptive are the manufacturers of the games? Do, do, you, do you ever get put off, or are you received quite well?
1: Okay, um, so how did I get started? I'll start with that one. Uh-huh. Um, all right, so I, I obviously love board games. My wife, not as much, but she's a uh, teacher blind students, and she's involved in the um, blind community, and um, she she's like what gives me Inspiration. credibility. Okay. Credibility. Great, sure. Because <laughs> sure. uh-huh. like, like I guess like, well, she knows what she's doing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, neither, neither of us are blind ourselves, but okay. she's been involved. Impl- we're both pretty involved in the blind community. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, and we're just getting more so. Um, but anyways, so I, w- I was trying to design um, a board game. I've always, um, when she went to the center and rest and we had a lot of blind friends and we, and I, of course had board games back then. And I, we'd try to play with our blind friends, and it would be hard because the ge- kind of games that I wanted to play just didn't exist in Braille. So I'd be like, well, we couldn't play this, but we can't play this. And so unless we actually got out the slate and Stylus and went to work, which we did on a couple games, um, we couldn't play them with our friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, fast forward a couple of years later. Um, so I'm designing board games. I'm trying to... Um, make my own prototypes, and I'm planning on using the crowdfunding service of Kickstarter to make my board games. Sure. But but it's a very um, crowded area, especially in board games. So I, I need, especially being a first-time Kickstarter, I needed a way to distinguish myself. I didn't want to pay a ton in advertising, so I started getting involved in Twitter and involved in that. And one thing that my wife and I have always been pushed by my family to do is, To do blind stuff, so she's like, "Well, why don't you do your game, but also make it blind accessible? That'll make us stand out and can get you some traction." I'm like, "Eh, that makes sense." And blind people need games. When I I didn't design the game to be a blind game, I designed the game, then I tried to make it accessible. So I think that that's usually the best approach to take to it, Mm -hmm. Um, because if you come at it from the perspective, what would be a blind game, a good blind game you're not coming at it from the perspective of what would be a good game. And I don't want to make a good, quote, blind game. I want to make a good game. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We went to manufacturers, where it's like, all right, we want our game, and we want a Braille version. They looked at us like we had three heads.
3: Like you were mad, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Right, so we went to um, blind manufacturers, people who make blind materials, and we said, all right, we want you to help us make this accessible and they, they didn't know how to do it either because they didn't deal with board games and the challenge is there. So, it's, so eventually we decided alright, they can't do it. The other community can't do it. I guess we have to do it. Mm. So I put my games aside and decided that um, I'd run a Kickstarter to try to get an embosser and ah, um huh. the materials to do that so we ran our first kickstarter we reached out to the wine community we reached out to the board game community both were really receptive and um we raised over twenty thousand dollars which was enough to buy a 3d printer and embosser and enough um stuff to get our website going and all the fees that are involved in that um we and and make a documentary of us doing it, like a video thing. That was really successful, got our company going. Like a year later, we just ran another kick or with the 3D printer um and some molding techniques, we were able to make um some polyhedral dice like um that are 20 sided and and we were able to ship all the um as a reward to our backers a 20 sided die. Um, but we ended up doing it with molding material, which it, um, from a silicon mold. And there were some problems with that because, um, what happens is when you're making plastic or you're making plastic with that sort of mold is you'll eventually get bubbles in it. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: one bubble, well, the, the place that it wants to go in that mold is of course the Braille dot Mm -hmm. and you have a F and a bubble goes in it and it's suddenly an E. Mm. So, I mean, so that was a real problem is because you have this big die with 20 sides, and one bubble, it, it doesn't work anymore. Um, so, we struggled with that, tried a couple things, tried to get rid of the um, bubbles and try to make it. But the fact is that on a big die like that, it, it's very hard to double check, and Sometimes it'll look like it's okay, but you actually feel it and it's like, no, that isn't working for me. And sometimes the reverse is true.
3: Mm. Uh, Did you ever try more tactile things like just to put something out there like uh, take little, mm, let's say, uh, metal heads and make the Braille dots out of that or some type of something that would stand out that would, would not make the bubbles? Did you ever try something like that?
1: Not so much. The other thing we need to do is we need... It, it's my side job, so I can't just... Whatever we do, it has to be efficient.
3: Ma- mass-produced.
1: And mass-produced,
3: right. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, so I didn't want to do that, um, and we looked into things like injection molding, but those, those are ex- prohibitively expensive to do injection molding. That's probably the best technique to use, but um if the what we wanted to do was we wanted to make a wide variety of things so yeah you could spend a bunch of money and make a great um braille d20 mold but then i wouldn't be able to do anything else Mm -hmm. so anyway we ran another kickstarter we got a new 3d printer which is working great and we're currently um printing dice and we will be repeatedly for the next couple months probably halfway through the year we did the math and it requires 60 days of continuous print time to do everything that's needed to um fulfill the kickstarter and we're like right now on day four jeez wow
3: wow (laughs) boy that sounds like a major undertaking and is this the first time that you guys have dealt with 3d printers or is that part of your uh, your job this
1: is this is our second 3D printer. We bought one with the first Kickstarter right. and he decided that we were we there were lots of frustrations with our first 3D printer. This one seems to be working a lot better um than the previous one. So because I did a little bit more research and knew a little bit more about it when I was making the purchasing decision. This one is a lot easier to do self-maintenance on. Mm-hmm. Um that was one of the problems with our first one is that The company that we used is so tied to warranties, if I did anything with it, I risked violating the warranty. So even though I'm a pretty hands-on, fix-it-yourself type of guy, I was terrified that if I did that, then the warranty doesn't apply and then I can't do anything. This is a much better choice because it's very self-maintenance type things where I can, if something goes wrong, I can fix it. Now, how did you how did
3: you figure out how to run a three D printer? I mean, I've only heard of them, and I've you know listened to them on uh, YouTube demonstrations and things like that. How did you ever get involved with learning something like that, or is that part of your day job?
1: Um, I'm a life skills teacher, so I teach. um, (laughs) (laughs) So to answer that, no, it's not part of my life or my (laughs) day job at all. I guess not. I've I've always been just a hobbyist. I I believe that a person should be a jack of all trades and know how to do it. um everything. I, I I was just interested in 3D printing since I heard about it and I've always wanted one since I've heard about it. Um even when I was in high school years ago, I I dabbled in 3D modeling. So I had a little bit of skills. Um I can't do organic things that are um, that look good? I don't have much artistic style, but I can measure and I can do uh, um, angles and stuff. So if I'm doing something very geometric, like a um, 3D pr- or a die, I can do that. If if you ask me to make a man that doesn't look like um, a stick figure, and mm-hmm. eh, not not so well. <laughs> um, so so I had. I knew that I had some 3D modeling skills and I had made stuff and some, some of the board game prototypes I've actually, I, um, there's a website called shapeways.com that will print any 3D thing that you want. Um, but you, you have to pay a ton. I mean, they, they upcharge it because they're making it for you and using their own printers and, Mm -hmm. and it's prohibitively expensive to do much with them. Um, but, but I had used them in the past, and um, and, and and was quite aware of the technology.
0: Mm-hmm. It,
1: which was good because I promised everyone that I'd make these dice before I had the printer in my hands, and I was able to do it. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. the The whole process
3: uh, to me sounds fascinating. Um, do you how re, how are you received in the blind community as far as uh, uh, purchasing games? Are are you? Uh, Now, when I say, are you doing well, what I mean about that is, um, are, are, is there enough interest to keep you going? It sounds like there is,
1: um, we've, we've, um, done over 180 sales at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, probably, probably that was, I took that metric a week or a while ago. So, um, each one of those sales is between one and, um, And some of our bigger ones have been like 10 kits. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, um, uh, we've had a lot of repeat customers. Um, great. We're hoping to get
3: you a lot more because, um, our show has, uh, quite a few listeners. I can't give you an exact amount, but it would be cool if this show would actually bring you, uh, closer to the blind community.
1: Yeah. Um. I'm sorry. I'm trying to go back through my number or try to think back Uh on my numbers. Um, That's fine. So we, we have a lot of repeat customers. Um, It, it it seems to be going well. Um, The biggest challenge that we have with the blind community is there are some people who the games that they want are monopoly and uno. Sure. And that's it because that's the ones that they've encountered. And, then there are other people who don't like those games and would probably absolutely love the games that we do, mm-hmm. but they're not—they're not interested because they played Monopoly <laughs> and Uno and think that that's what a board game is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so I need to convince—that's uh, the biggest challenge—is convincing people that no, Monopoly and Uno aren't everything a board game can be. That's fine if you want to play that, and other people will help you play that. I want to help you play something that is more interesting, has more um, decisions that you're making, less random necessarily, and not always the most um, thought-provoking thing, depending on the game, because we have kids' games, we have adult games, but more interesting decisions. So there's a lot more that a board game can be that has really evolved in the last 20 years especially. Mm-hmm. than was available in some of those older board games oh, and man. and so the that's the biggest challenge is that convincing people to sit down once they've already decided that they don't like board games because once they play some of these more obscure ones a lot I, we've had some real converts who didn't were like all right we like you guys so we'll try it so they tried it and they're like oh what else do you got what else do you got what else do you got and they've bought 20 kits from us over the year that we've been open. So, I mean, it's convincing people that it's worth it's worth giving us a try. Well, it's really interesting to me because,
3: uh, to be perfectly honest with you, the circles that I travel in, and this is just me, myself, um, I know the the people that I uh well, let's just say that I'm associated with are uh, either people that uh, play software games of one type or another, either through the computer or through their iOS device. So it's really refreshing to know that there's a, a person out there that really wants to work with games played on the board and print their own dice. This, to me, this is fascinating.
1: And, and one thing that you'd get with a board game that you can never get with a um computer game or an is game is it it really is a hundred percent social act in interaction Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean there's so much to be said even if you're playing a multiplayer video game which i love video games too so Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. think i'm catching them but but the in your face i'm right there i'm doing it to you aspect is lost when you're playing with someone across the country Mm -hmm. and you have the voiceover; it just isn't the same as the effect that you can get with a with a good board game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and then and then you get the interaction of actually uh, having the person right next to you, and you know you're also socializing. You're eating, drinking, um, right? You know, doing things that uh, you just can't do, as you say, uh, across the globe or or even across town, you know, with a with a uh, PC. So yeah, th- this is pretty good. Um, can Can I ask you? And is this okay to put out? Um, how much do your kits usually run? Let's say, um, if you're going to buy the two versus the the game and then your overlay separately, can Can I get kind of a ballpark big figure? Do you mind?
1: Uh, it's highly dependent on the um The game, um, what we usually try to aim for for our target pricing is, um, that they'll be able to get the kit in the game, um, for two times MSRP of the game. Mm -hmm. So if it's a $30 game, then for $60, you'll get the kit and the game. Mm -hmm. That is kind of our goal. Now, some of the games, you can't reach that goal and, um, still have it worth my time to do. Sure. Um depending on what's in the game, because like some games are definitely a lot cheaper to produce than others. Um, like if you need to, if the game just needs to have a card that says what color the card is versus, um, a big game like cards Against humanity, which has an entire phrase that you want to put in Braille, an entire phrase in Braille times 500 cards. Oh, that's, that's a big um thing. I mean mm. the that require I think it's like 28 pages of sticker sheets um somewhere around there for cards against humanity. And like if I do an apples to apples that includes both the card names and QR codes. So there's different expenses for different games, but mm-hmm. our goal is um our kits to cost around the same as MSRP of the game. Mm-hmm. And we do that if we can
3: now here's how unfamiliar I am with with board games because i I'm, I'm just not so um <laughs> so here's a question for you do you guys do any like apocalyptic games or like uh, zombie type games that are um, board um, in board layout or board form or how what what kind of games are there out there?
1: We don't have as many zombie games as there are in the market
3: mm-hmm. right
1: now because a lot of them are very um, vis- or n- visual for one thing. But another thing is that it is um, they're very wide. Um, you can't just replace the cards. You need to replace the entire board. Mm-hmm. And they have lots of little tiny miniatures and stuff for for many of them. So they, they're not the easiest to adapt, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got a, um, we're, well, we just got a CNC mill and we're going to get a, um, thermoforming machine. So we Man. hope that we'll be able to do transparent overlays that go over, um, bigger boards. And we might be able to open up to more of those, um, zombie or apocalypse games, mm-hmm. which th- they definitely do exist. Okay. Um, And there are a few card games, which um, I could probably do um, right now, but I haven't because I have X amount of hours in the day. Oh, sure. Uh, But short answer to that, um, they exist. I don't offer a lot of great ones that I can think of right now. Um, Coup and Resistance um, have very dystopian themes Mm -hmm. where um, it's like a government that have has taken over and you're resistance fighters or trying to get control of the government or, um, so we have a couple games with dark themes, but the two genres that you pointed to, we don't really have anything yet.
3: What is your most successful game to date? Would you say?
1: I keep saying it. Um, the one that sells the most is, um, cards against humanity. You have said that Um, a lot, right? That isn't my favorite kit because I needed to stretch what I consider acceptable on the kit to make that one work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our games usually co- or our games come with card sleeves, which are transparent things to protect cards, and gamers use them to protect their cards. Well, to make Cards Against Humanity work, it has a lot of text, so we sell it with sleeves that are bigger than the cards of the game itself mm-hmm. and tell the people to put in cardstock to fill out the rest of the sleeve so it isn't just flopping around. Sure which makes it harder to assemble than a lot of our kits. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that that's our most successful um, as far as sales. I don't think it's the most successful as far as ease of use, but it's it's still a lot of people really love it and really are happy with it. So I, I definitely financially, that's the most successful game. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other stuff, the kids' games, we've done really great things with and... I'm always really happy when I sell some of the kids games Mm because I think that those are um, great to really get the Braille in people's hands early. Another thing that we do that I haven't mentioned yet is we do not just games. We also um, we're involved in blind literacy as well. And my wife runs the NFB Braille Academy every summer here in Texas. And we, and she's a teacher of blind students as well. So um, we sell 3D printed things that parents and teachers have asked us to make, and we use the games in um, teaching Braille because that's really important to us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we sell things like swing cells. Uh, APH sells theirs for about forty dollars. We can we sell ours for about five. Um, so those are 3d printed and lets you figure out the dot locations with a perkins brailler mm-hmm. um we have things that we call snap blocks which are it has like exaggerated braille on the top um l- other braille on the top and they kind of fit together like legos cool and you can make your own words with them um we have like braille puzzle pieces which um let you do things that you do with like muffin tin braille sure but they're a little smaller so that you can snap them together so you can each each um, puzzle piece is a braille cell so you can put a bunch of braille cells together and then put the little pegs in them to spell out whatever word that you wanted so we we do stuff like that with our 3d printer um those at this moment they're not available for sale on our site because we've been fussing with the 3d printer and our new 3d printer is currently making 60 days worth of dice sure sure yep yep Mm -hmm. i remember that (laughs) So there won't be, that one we won't be able to use until the Kickstarter is finished. But um, the quality of the dice or the um, other stuff will be better once we start using the new printer exclusively. Okay. But um, but we, we sell that sort of thing too and uh, that's been really successful and we've been talking to parents and we have some other ideas of blind materials that we're going to expand our store in.
2: That's great. Now the Kickstarter you're talking about that's running right now, um I thought ran, that...
1: ran about a month or um a couple or about a month ago.
2: Okay, because um I thought I heard something about Indiegogo too, but maybe that was something else or I'm getting something confused. So I just wanted to no. make sure I was
1: the one um crowd thing that we're using that isn't Kickstarter is Patrol. And that is um what we we have That is a subscription-based service where people um, can um, pledge a certain amount to give per month. And for that, um, we've been given 10% off coupons if you pledge at a certain level. So if you buy stuff and um, if you pledge at a higher level, you can say pick out a game and we'll, we'll make it accessible if we can. And there are different levels that they can do. So we got we some people who pledge for that. That's the only other fundraising thing that we've done um, other than Kickstarter and, of course, selling the kits.
2: Okay. And one of the questions I'd like to ask goes back to the actual purchase of a game or kit. Uh, do the kits come with instructions where a... Uh, totally blind person could assemble and and you know get the whole game, board game and kit put together in the proper way.
3: Yeah, and also along with that, Richard, too, I'd like to ask, um, can you play with multiple blind people and have no sighted people around for assistance at all?
1: Okay. Um, I'll answer... The second one's easier to answer. Yes. Yes, you can play with all blind people. The assembly... For most games, I'm not going to say all games. You're probably going to need a sighted person to help you set it up the first time. Okay. Um, the the kits include braille instructions um, on how to set the kit up. It includes a QR code and a link to like the instructions in a digital format, so you can read it on as you're in your leisure. So you don't need to. Um, it, we don't include the braille of the actual rule booklet because. That would be huge, and mm-hmm. actually, you don't. I would imagine a blind person wouldn't even want to carry that around, uh, right? Um, so we, we just do the digital version of the rules, but actually setting it up, um, you, I've heard of people who've done it using like the Knfb reader or mm-hmm. something like that, but that depends a lot on the game too, because depending on how artsy the game is. Well, if the font is really weird, you're not going to be able to scan it. Or if the layout is really weird, you're not going to be able to scan it and figure out what card matches up with what card. So it works a lot better if you um, have a sighted person to help you match up the Braille with the cards. Um, We try to make the um, Braille labels in the same order as the game is manufactured in. So, if you open up the game, the cards are in the same order. But we don't do that with all the games, depending, because some games I already owned at that point and I've already played. So, the cards were in whatever order they were. So, I wasn't going to rebuy the game just so that I'd know the order of the cards. Mm -hmm. But if I buy a new game now, now before I can play it, I need to sit down and I usually try to sit down and transcribe it before I play it so which is unfortunate because sometimes i've done that and and got to the end and i'm and actually played the game and i'm like oh this was what i just transcribed (laughs) (laughs) this game isn't as good as i thought it'd be (laughs) 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 sounds like you're one (laughs) busy man yeah i try to be
3: well is there anything that you'd like to cover that we haven't covered I, i find this uh, really fascinating, and uh this is the first time I've ever spoken with somebody that was that involved with uh board games.
2: Yeah, I think this is the first time, I mean, gosh, I know there are accessible board games, but it seems like there's been a long period of the lack in that regard. Yeah, and I can't wait for this one to come out. That, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
3: this is going to oh, be great. Um,
1: Um, Our kits, we have usually between a two- to three-week turnaround between the order and us actually getting them in the mail to you. Mm -hmm. And we ship them free matter, so we're not the fastest service. okay. Um, But our stuff is uh, available on the website right now. We've pulled down everything that requires 3D printing because our 3D printer is undergoing maintenance. And hopefully we'll be working to a level where I feel like the quality is good enough to sell. Again, or mm-hmm. we can wait the 60 days and we can use the new printer. Uh, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we'll, like the braille access the braille stuff I can't sell right now because I can't make it right now. Um, but but yeah, our website is available at store.64 four ounce games.com. Um, we also own OZ games if you, you're lazy and don't want to type that much. Okay, um, <laughs> Lazy's good. You've got me figured out pretty well then. <laughs> <laughs>
3: What, but, about, um, what about a Twitter page? Do you have a Twitter
1: account? Yes, my Twitter is at 64ozgames Uh-huh um, We have a Facebook page I think that uh, it's 64ozgames I think, or the Facebook I don't know um, And I have a blog that I very rarely bother updating, which I should update more um, And that's on the website www.64ouncegames.com, And you can always email me at Richard at And all of those are ways to get a hold of me or find out about my crazy rants. Wow,
3: fantastic stuff.
2: Yes, this has been this has been very informative.
3: Okay. Right? Well, thank you for being on. Good luck to both of you guys, and yes. uh, I wish you a lot of success. And I hope this show uh, brings you lots of. Uh, nice. I hope I hope your printer melts <laughs> due to the business that uh, that we can bring to you. I, I really wish you success.
1: Well, uh, well, we're really happy to do it, and I just love bringing the joy of board gaming and bra literacy to more people because I I think that both the social interaction and, of course, where literacy is so important to me that I I just want to get it out there. And I'm so happy that I'm getting the chance to do this as a hobby. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
3: Next up, here's Janine Stanley for the product review.
4: Hi, everyone. This is Janine Stanley, and I'm here to tell you about a little gift that I got myself this holiday season It is a Bluetooth keyboard. There are a plethora of Bluetooth keyboards out there, but I have more than one device at a time that I need to have hooked up to a Bluetooth keyboard, and I happen to find one that I really, really like. It is called the Logitech K480 Bluetooth keyboard, and it is a little bit bigger than a braille note taker like the um, Apex QWERTY. It's a little bit bigger than that. I'd say it's about an inch longer, an inch higher, uh, and about the same in terms of height. It's a little big for a Bluetooth keyboard. I will say that. However, um, that's kind of what I like about it because it has nice balance in your lap. I found that some of the smaller Bluetooth keyboards are a lot harder to type on in terms of keeping them balanced in your lap. It doesn't have a handrest on it, but like I said, it certainly does stay balanced. That's my main complaint about the Apple Bluetooth keyboard, which I dearly love. That's my main keyboard for my Mac and my iMac, but when I take it mobile it's really hard to type on in your lap. So uh, this particular keyboard allows you to have three devices connected via bluetooth and it has three channels they call them. The keyboard if you are sitting it in your lap and you go from the far edge facing away from you there is a little tray it's actually not little it spans the whole top of the keyboard almost This is a tray where you can put your iPad—it's primarily designed for an Uh, iPad—you can put your iPhone in it unless you have an OtterBox case. It's a nice tray, it's got a nice angle and everything, it's just not quite wide enough. And they could probably make it just a tad wider or at a different angle so that the wider cases could fit in. I even have trouble putting my 5S phone from work, which is in a much slimmer case, into this particular tray. But the tray is up there. Below the tray, on the left, is a round circle and it's got a little pointer arrow on it that's sort of rubbery. It's kind of hard to feel. The circle can move clockwise in three positions. So initially that arrow should be pointed at about one o'clock, and that's channel one. You turn it, it'll move to channel two, which is about three o'clock, and then channel three, which is about four to five o'clock position. So you want it in channel one to start out with, if you slide your fingers from that round knob across to the right along the keyboard, you'll feel sort of a, a sticker kind of thing, a metallic piece of sticker that has all of the information about the keyboard manufacturer, all of that kind of thing. And then there are two buttons, and these two buttons are really important in pairing your devices. The one on the left is for Windows devices, and this particular keyboard allows you to pair Windows devices and iOS uh, Mac devices. I don't know about Android. Android may pair through the Windows pairing. I'm not sure. This is something you can certainly look up on the Logitech web page. All the specs for this particular keyboard are there, which is fantastic, including the user manual, which is very helpful. Then we have, below that, the keyboard. It has the upside down T, the arrow keys. And it has three keys on the left side of the spacebar and two keys on the right side. It says that for Windows devices you can use the Logitech software program which I assume you would put have on your tablet or your uh, laptop or whatever you're going to be pairing this with and you can configure the keyboard through that program for your Windows needs. For iOS devices, it's perfect. It doesn't need any configuration at all. You just have to remember all the voiceover commands for using a Bluetooth keyboard. The keys are a little different. They are rounded on the edges. If you have big fingers, I could see it would be a problem. They happen to fit my fingers perfectly. Um, They are concave, so they're cupped a little bit, which is great. It helps your fingers keep from sliding off or sliding between the keys. Also, there is um, very little space. There's no space between the keys, that's all filled in, and there's very little space around the keys, so getting stuff in it is probably not going to be too much of a problem, I don't think. It doesn't appear that way. The other thing to know about the keys is what Logitech is most famous for, and that's their keyboard action. If you're like me, I would be happy if the world used the old IBM PS2 keyboard. That was my absolute favorite keyboard of all time. I like those loud, clicky, snappy keyboards. And this is, it's certainly not at all a loud keyboard, but it's got a very nice, firm um, mechanical touch to it and so you know when you've pressed a key without being overly tiring on your hands. The angle is also nice. It's not an angled keyboard, so you're gonna need to angle it in your lap or get one of the little beanbag things to put underneath it to get it the way you want it if tilting it is gonna work for you. But I've used this thing in all sorts of positions and environments from you know laying in bed, typing things, to on an airplane, to all kinds of places, and it's it's great. The keyboard operates via two AAA batteries, and now we're going to flip the keyboard over and look at the back. So looking at the back, we'll start with the side furthest away from us, and if you slide your hands down this side, you'll see first of all on the left hand side, across the keyboard horizontally, there is a long piece of plastic. And it starts on the left with a little indentation. This is the battery cover. If you use your thumb and put it in that indentation and slide it to the right, the battery cover will come off. It's a really long tab of plastic, probably, I don't know, two or three inches long. It covers up the battery compartment and it goes back on fairly easily. It's in a little channel, which is nice. Um, so once you get it in the channel, you should be able to slide it back into place, but be very careful with it because it is just plastic. If you feel along that tab of plastic past it, you'll feel a little indented sort of tray area, and keep on going to the right along that tray, and you'll see the on-off switch. Now, it does the logical thing when the keyboard is turned over. It flips to the right for on, it flips to the left for off. However, you're not gonna be using it that way most of the time, so you just have to remember that if you pick up that keyboard and the switch is flipped all the way to the left, underneath when you reach under with your left hand it's gonna be on and this thing once you pair it it pairs very quickly I have had it I've had two devices that I have it connected to I've had it going on both those devices switching back and forth with the channel selector very quickly to pair a device you're going to let's say it's an iPhone you're gonna get your iPhone bring up the Bluetooth menu in the settings menu then you're going to turn on the keyboard, you're going to go to channel one for your first device, you're going to hold it down the little button up on the front uh, all the way to the right on that horizontal area above the keyboard. There are two buttons. You're going to take the right-hand one, hold it down, and then you just double tap on the Logitech K480 keyboard and voila, it's paired. And it's paired forever in life until you unpair pair it. And I'm just amazed how quickly this thing comes up. I mean, literally in seconds, it's ready to go. It switches from device to device very quickly and easily. The plastic case is probably the one disappointment of this keyboard. That, and maybe the size for some people, because it doesn't fit easily into, say, a big purse if you carry such a thing, or a fanny pack. It does fit nicely into a backpack, though. The case is plastic and it feels like it's not all that substantial. I have dropped this device on a tile floor in an airport and I had thoughts of, oh my goodness, it's dead. And luckily nothing happened to it. It's not something I wanna drop all the time though. It does have four little rubber circles on the bottom to help it stay still on a surface, which is great, but it can be a little um, easy to flip out of your hands. The good news is that they do make a keyboard cover for it. I'm not sure if it's a whole skin for the thing, that's how it was advertised. We'll see, I have one on order. Hopefully that will protect it a little bit more. Um, What worries me are the sides of the case. You can feel the seam where the two pieces of plastic were joined and that makes me a little nervous, but um, the working of the keyboard is fantastic. I got mine at Best Buy during Black Friday and I paid $25 for it uh, normally it's around 49, I believe, and I've seen it on Amazon. I've seen it all over the place at many of the electronic stores. You can also go to the Logitech website, which is com, and there are all of their keyboards that they sell, including the user manuals and things like that. Um, the user manuals for these things are not particularly helpful. You can sort of get an idea of where things are. They're PDFs that are accessible, but unfortunately lots of the charts are graphic to find out what things are. However, this was pretty easy to figure out and it's a great little keyboard. So hopefully this will be the keyboard for you if you want something a little sturdier and easier to type on than the smaller Bluetooth keyboards.
2: Jason with you again and I want to talk to you about the iClever foldable Bluetooth ultra slim mini wireless keyboard. Wow, is it impressive. It comes with a carry pouch and a micro USB cable, the manual and the warranty card. I'm going to pull the keyboard out of the carry case, which is made out of a sort of velour-feeling material. It has some drawstrings on the top that prevent the keyboard from falling out. Um, I'm going to open that and take the keyboard out. It is a tri-folding keyboard. I want to say about six inches long, five inches wide, and maybe an inch thick at the thickest point when folded. And it's so you, as you can tell by the dimensions, it's it's not very big. You can very easily slip it into a pocket or a purse or a little pouch in a backpack. And it's very conveniently sized, and it has this wonderful aluminum alloy case that makes it feel that much more pleasing and a little more rugged than maybe it otherwise would feel. The micro USB port for charging its internal battery is located in the back of the unit. I don't know what the weight is, unfortunately, but I, I don't think it's more than six ounces, if that. And when you open it up, which I'm going to do now, you get this wonderful-looking keyboard. Um, It has everything you need except for the row of F keys. If you want the F keys, there's a function key you hold down, and the number row becomes the F keys, and the accent key is the escape key. And I don't know if you can tell by the sound of it here, But the keys have a very nice tactile response. Uh, They feel very, it reminds me of an Apple keyboard, except it's very flat instead of having the slight tilt due to the sort of uh, shape and little stand on the back of the Apple keyboard. So I love it. Um, When you open it, it turns on. When you close it, it turns off. That's as simple as that. Uh, It will pair with up to three devices and the pairing process is pretty simple you press function C and it goes into pairing mode And on your device of choice you find it, select it, and it pairs and then once it's paired you can tell it what kind of device you're pairing it with. If you hit function Q you're pairing it with Android, if you hit function W you're pairing it with a Windows device, and if you hit function E you're pairing it with iOS. It's that simple. It has worked very well. I've had it for such a short amount of time, although I have typed on it quite extensively, and I still haven't had to charge it, so I can't tell you what the battery life is on it before having to recharge. I will provide a link in the email announcement, as well as within the description of the show itself so that you can find this keyboard if you would like. Now that I think of it, a simple way of finding it would be to go to iClever.com, I-C-L-E-V-E-R, and under the accessories link, it is the only keyboard that is listed there. It was $32.99 the last time I checked, and it is just a nice keyboard. I like it a lot. Very lightweight, very compact, Folds right up, goes into its little carry case, and you're all set. Yeah, one thing about that Bluetooth keyboard, I was telling Debbie we should have created affiliate links because everyone we've told has either bought one already or wants one. (laughs) It's really cool. And next week, we will have as our guest Lisa Salinger, who has a number of interesting topics to discuss So I'm already looking forward to that show as well. Main Menu is a program sponsored by ACB Radio and the American Council of the Blind. It can be heard every week on Friday nights beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern. It is also available as a podcast. For more information, go to mainmenu.acbradio.org. You can also listen via the ACB Link app available in the Apple App Store. Want to listen by phone? Call 605-475-8130. We welcome your feedback. Just direct email to mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can also find us on Twitter at Main Menu. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.